Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Soul is a production of Through the Word. That's the intro. Time for the show. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. I'm Chris Langham. He's Brad Hornback. I'm doing, Brad, Brad Hornback. I'm You're right Brad here. Hornback. Hey, here I am. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. Are you excited about this episode? Dude, I'm pumped because the stories that I've already heard were amazing, and I can't wait to hear more. It just keeps getting better. This is yes. part three in our Life on Mission series. Missionaries always have the best stories. Go out and work for it. And that doesn't mean they're happy endings. Best stories, I'm not talking about, like, Disney best stories. Sometimes sometimes they're, they're tough stories, but... Something's always going to happen to your life that on mission. So speaking of great stories and great storytellers, I'm going to welcome back our guests. We heard from the Fergusons. Jonathan and Adrian Ferguson were in Nairobi, Kenya for seven years. Fergusons, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, we're excited. You have more stories or did you exhaust them all? Oh, we've oh, got stories. We've got stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know you've got stories. Okay, and we're also welcoming back Ryan Woodburn, working with Novo here in America among refugees. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you. Good. I hope you got some stories to tell as well. Don't worry, we've got plenty. All right. Now, we're not just going to tell stories. I want to dive into the issues. We're talking about the work of mission, and although there are amazing stories to tell with that, there are also some issues to wrestle with, and we want to do both of those here on the Soul Podcast. Mission work is a complex world with a lot of workers in many different roles. Mm. There are goers, senders, missionaries, local church, sending church, the short-term missions, long-term missions. There are also many different ways to go about mission in many parts of the work. Some are more effective than others. Paul reminds us to run our race in such a way as to win. We want to run well. So here's an issue right off the bat. 80% of missionaries who are single around the world are women. Four to one ratio, women to men. How did this happen? And, and I can say my son is going to a missions preparation school. The uh, the <laughs> ratio that my son has just walked into is four to one. Same deal. All right, we might come back That's to that That's a one. marrying culture for a male That's... right there. Like, you've got... <laughs> Did I say that? I apologize. I'll stop. That's... I'll stop. <laughs> don't, don't go set my son up. He's, there, there's issues involved. This is complicated. Yes. Now, here's another one. Short-term mission versus long-term mission. Which one's more effective? Are the short-termers making a real impact, or is it just a glorified Christian vacation? Mm. All right, we'll get back to this stuff. Mm. Yep. But, uh, but right, uh, Brad, Brad, you got to lay down the, the ground rules for us. This is your job. Ref, what are the ground rules for the Soul Podcast? It's quick. There's four of them right here. Respect the story. I want more, guys. I want more. I love it. I just want to hear. So respect the story. Humility before wisdom. Yes, it's number two, Jonathan. Number two, grace always. Grace always. And then, hey, God's going to have the last word here. That's what it's meant to be, right? God does get the last yes, word. Yes, I love so it. So at the end of the show, I don't have to do the, the, the sign-off. It's just going to be the voice of God. Muddy world. This has been the soul podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what I wanted to happen. No, God, that, that's not what it means. God has the last word. And the hard issues that we talk about, we, we recognize that God, God knows better than us. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Missions as the whole body of Christ. Let's, what I want to talk about first the body of Christ has many parts and one body. I'm going to introduce this with a verse. Romans 12, 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
How does that work in the world of missions? What what are the parts of the the body? Ryan, I'm going to start with you. What are the parts of the body involved? the body of Christ that are involved in local mission. You talked about your mission work is among refugees. What parts of the body are involved in that work? Elbow, nose, heel. Little baby pinky toe. <laughs> Don't leave it out. Don't leave it out. Someone's Who's necessary got, to make that be work the pinky toe. Earlobe. I'm the earlobe, guys. I'm kidding. Okay, go ahead, Ryan. In all seriousness. So we, we need, um, as far as the body of Christ, we need people who are sending so that's one part of the body. We, we need people who are, who are um, giving in terms of enabling through resources, partnering in that sense. And then we need people from the body who are going. And so they all, that's, that's our, our picture. And even those who, um, those who are involved in the work, Personally, through prayer, like I said, there's those people who they give part of their month, part of their week, and in going too. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, the vocational person goes and mm. finances are directed towards their ministry, and there's people sending, but there's also people who can do all three, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'll say, Jonathan, Adrian, you guys have been on in, in several parts of this. You, you shared your story in Kenya of, of you guys were the goers. You were there. You were boots on the ground on the other side of the world. But God called you back here. And uh, and now, how, how does God, what part of, the, of this body are you serving in now that you're back home in America? The part we're serving in right now is we um, we're working in missions at our church. And so I, I would say that we are now senders. I would like to think of us as advocates um, for those that are already on the field. What do you think? Yeah, we're doing a little bit of everything with sending both the short-term and long-term missionaries and pastoral care for our missionaries as well. So I think that that's a, a, a big thing of what we're doing now is trying to yeah be advocates for our missionaries, both to the congregation and you know, bringing the congregation's concerns or anything to the missionaries, missionaries' concerns back to the congregation. So you guys are a connection point. Now, having been, uh, now back up in time, having been out on the field, how important was a support team? What, did you guys have a support team? Now I know the answer to this question, but tell, tell me about your support team. You guys actually had an awesome support team, I remember. But why, why is that Is that because critical? you were back here support? No, I wasn't on the support team. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, our, no, it's our mission. There were several. Our, our, no, we have a missions church, just so you guys know. The, yes. the church that we're part of, uh, Refuge, Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach, it's, it's a missions-minded church and always has been. Yes. And, uh, and Jonathan is now serving as the missions pastor. I actually served in that role for, uh, for a year when I came back from the mission field. But it's always been a mission-minded church. But support teams are, are not, it's not just the whole church. It's a specific dedicated team. Tell us about your support team and why that role was important. Uh, we had a, a great support team with, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, seven to ten people, depending on, you know, we were there for a while, so we had some turnover. Um, but what they did was they were continually uh, getting us in front of the church. Even though we were in Kenya, we were still very visible in front of the church. And so through fundraisers and different activities, they let the church know what was going on in Kenya. So when we came back, there were people that we had never met before that had been supporting us. There were people who we met that were like, you're the Fergusons, you're from Kenya. And so we we walk in and, and we're still known, even though, you know, church turnover is so high in America, but we were still known. And that was a huge thing. 
You know, I can speak to this a little bit from somebody that came into the church. And like we said in episode one, uh, you know, I know you guys, but I didn't know you guys. I knew you as the Ferguson Five through the church. I, I knew your faces. Like I knew a lot about you. I had never met you because of the support team. Yeah. But, but the support team was the advocate. They were the, the advocate, advocate that for, sure yes. that that your faces were were out there and you were being prayed for and that yes. the news was was going out and, and cre- keeping a connection with the, the local church. And I think a lot of it is like we never felt forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, um, Benjamin was born in 2010 out in Kenya and our church had a little baby shower for us where people came and they, um, they donated money for specific things. And so we got these little cards that said, oh, I donated money for diapers or I donated money for a little baby outfit. So we didn't actually get the care package out in Kenya, but people thought enough about us that they were writing us these little notes and they were giving specifically for that. And I felt like, wow, because it was a lonely time for us, you know, having Benjamin out on the mission field and feeling like, gosh, we're missing family. And to know that our family back at Refuge was celebrating with us, it kind of made us feel a little bit more bonded to them. That's awesome. Yeah, without the care team, we wouldn't have made it even two years out of our seven because we knew that we were cared for, that we were loved, that we were supported, um, and not just the financial aspect of, and, and the team did help a lot with that. Um, but just knowing that we were, we had refuge behind us and that, tr- and our care team made sure that we knew that uh, it kept us out there. Yeah. And I'll say from a, uh, for, I'll speak to one of my own heirs, but my, uh, I'll get honest here. When, uh, when we hit the field, uh, my wife and I, we took our three kids and we went to Mississippi and for us, we were thinking, ah, oh, this is mission work. Well, now we know we're doing mission work. We're on mission but it, we're not going to hit that big a culture shock. We didn't, so we did not raise up a support team. We mm-hmm. we just didn't, and we were so connected in the church. We were. I was the youth pastor. We knew so many people. I thought we'll we'll be connected. And I will say, just just a few months into it, I I hit one of the 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 loneliest times in my life. And I had my family. We had a great church there. We knew people, but never had I felt so disconnected and alone. And I remember when a mm-hmm. team came out. When a team came out, we hadn't organized a, uh, a support team, but this was just a team of the youth group that was there. I It was such an incredible—I I forgot how connected I was. And you don't realize how strong your support is just having a local church and all the people that we had. You just kind of take for granted, and you get out, mm-hmm. and you're so disconnected from the people who are just always regularly looking out for you, always, hey, just how's it going, praying for you, just staying connected, and being out there just that, like— pulled out suddenly I'm in a vacuum uh, and it was so great and so some of that care developed but uh but I should have I, I should have I, I should have developed a, a care team and now you guys are part of that uh developing how many how many support teams are at the church oh gosh um I would say uh just under half of our missionaries have an actual care team in place so we have about 20 well now 22 missionaries and I think about 10 of them have some kind of support team. Um, some are just two or three people. Others are ten or eleven. And what what sort of what are the things they do? What does a care team actually get um, together to do? Yeah, there, there's a, a few teams that really stand out to me. Um, one of them gets together every other week, and they Skype the missionaries. And they pray with them, and they just find out the stories of what's going on with the missionaries. How's ministry going? How are this person we were been praying for? And so they really get to know the lives of of those missionaries. 
and you know some of them have actually been able to go out and visit and when they've gone out and visit they've they oh i know who you are and oh how we've been praying for you about whatever issue it is um they do fundraisers um we've got a big concert at the church coming up that's doing a, a that's a fundraiser for this for this missionaries and um keeping just again keeping the the presence of those missionaries um, in front of the church. So every time they do a fundraiser, there's a big old poster with their face on it and and pictures of what's going on in the ministry. And, and so you're helping in a lot of different things. There's the financial side, but you're also helping with, um, with, with, with just spiritual and emotional support. That's good. All right, Ryan, I'm going to turn back to you and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a challenge at you. We, we've said finances here mm-hmm. and, and you mentioned givers being a, a part of the whole body, but I know as soon as, as as soon as we bring that up, red flags are going off for dun, some dun, listeners. Dun. Oh, that's what this is about. <laughs> These guys are just looking to get money to do whatever they wanted to do. How, uh, in, in genuineness, what role do the givers play? What role does financial, how is that actually a part of the mission work? How do you see that working both either in local or in international mission? So when someone is a ministry resource partner, they're partnering through their financial resources or out of some means of resources to fund the ministry, their uh, their partnership is enabling the work, but it's also, I don't want to just say, it's not just linear that their funds make the ministry run or enable the workers to work full-time without having to turn aside and go get another job. They're investing in eternity. So hmm. the person who writes a check or hits a drop down on an online giving page, it's an investment in eternity. So if anyone thinks for a moment that they're giving to a missionary, nobody supports me and my wife because of me and my wife. They support the ministry that we do. They believe that the Great Commission is of utmost importance and that their role is in impacting and in investing in eternity. So it's really a triangle. There is the ministry partner and the resource partner at the end of the triangle and God's up at the top of the triangle. And um, there's that sort of connection. Um, So we go to God and we ask God to provide and we invite people to partner and they go to God at the top of the triangle and they ask God if we're the ministry partner that they should steward a portion of their kingdom resources in. Yeah. And it's the parts of the body. And the in the parts of the body, and the picture that Paul Paul paints, there there are parts of the body that do different works. And some are glorified and out front, and <clears throat> some are behind the scenes, and uh, but all are necessary to get mm-hmm. the the work done. And the and the Bible talks about giving. For for missionaries, this is usually the last subject that they want to talk about <clears throat> dealing with with funding. But I'll say I've known many missionaries who went out and just didn't want to to deal with that of getting support of getting funds and and the mission often suffers for it because they have not done the work mm-hmm. to to gain support. Mm-hmm. And when you get out the the to the other side of the particularly working on the other side of the world. The other side of the world doesn't say, oh, great, you're here to share the gospel. Let's pay you for that. It doesn't work that way. There's got to be support, and it takes work. Just like any career takes work to establish yourself and how to get funded, that's part of the work that has to be done. But 2 Corinthians does speak to this, and I want to share that. As Paul is talking to the Corinthians about giving, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, 
but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And that thanks being given to God, and he talks about those who will receive this in the end, will thank God for you. And there's a knitting together of the givers and the goers and the recipients that God works those things together. That's the triangle that, that you're talking about. Mm. But I want to get back to the uh, I want to get back to the topic. That was a little aside. And I want to hear some some stories. I want to talk about stories. What happens when the body of Christ works together? As the as the gifts in the body of Christ work work together, how, how did you see all of that that coming together as you're on the mission field, Ryan, whether it's here locally, uh, working with the local church, you guys you're in Kenya. Tell me about what it looks like when when the when the parts of the body come together. Yeah, I would say a great example is we had this one lady who was in our church in Kenya, um, lady named Phyllis, and and um, she was on her own. She had um, HIV, and she's on her own. She's trying to make it. And in Kenya, um, when you're somebody in that position, it's easy to be taken advantage of. But she was able to do a lot of work with with her hands. She did the most amazing beadwork and everything that was uh, she made purses and 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 different items and our church was able to actually kind of support in that we brought some of those things home that she made and the church was able to come alongside and they're like hey we can support and and do these things and it was a really cool thing of seeing the the church helping uh you know this 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 lady that's an outcast in her society and a church five thousand six thousand miles away was helping support her uh, in, in a way that it wasn't possible with just our small local church in Kenya. And so it was a really cool way of seeing the, the church as a whole um, working together um, to support the, the, the work that God has called us to do. Yeah, and that's family. That's creating family, which is a phenomenal thing. One of my favorite things about church in general is the family of God is so much bigger. And when you actually engage yourself in mission and and God starts creating those connections, you find family members that uh, that connect with you. Now, of course, I, I, I will also say with that, there are always going to be those who want to take advantage of that. And and in, especially as we talk about money, as as Christians go, and especially if, if the, the people you're trying to reach recognize, oh, you've got money, you're Americans, or you're mm-hmm. white, there's money, then it gets messy. There uh, were... Is there a danger in uh, in those you're trying to reach just seeing dollar signs when you walk by? Uh, yes, 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 and yes. We had multiple stories of that happen where uh, money became an issue. There was one guy in particular who on a short-term trip, and we were told on on this trip that we had had coming out to, you know, don't don't give any money to to anybody. If you're going to, if you want to help, if you're touched by a story you hear. Uh, leave it with the missionaries, the long-term missionaries. They'll find a way of doing it where it's coming more through the church. Mm. Um, this guy came. He told his whole story of being a refugee and everything, and an American reached into his wallet and pulled out a $100 bill. He thought $100 is not a big thing to do, but in Kenya, mm. that could be up to two months of salary for the whole family. Wow. And so just dropped down that money. And years later when we're now moved out onto the field, every interaction we had with this, with this person was about money. And then it got to a point where he only, he somehow managed to know when visitors were coming and would only show up to church when American teams were there to try and corner people to get them to give him money. So yeah, money can become a very dangerous thing. 
um, when and can actually create a wall and or or just create just interrupt opportunities for the gospel because suddenly the whole thing is about money. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now speaking of money, I actually want to shift gears a little bit and talk about content, counting the cost. And I'm not, I don't mean financial cost. I mean for missionaries. We talk about missions and setting yourself out, out there. Ryan, you actually brought this up in uh, in our last episode as you were talking about for missionary counting the cost. Tell us why that's important. Why is it essential for somebody who's going to put themselves out on mission? And I'll say this. All of us are called to mission. Mm. There, There is no Christian who's not called to, to mission for God. And so all of us are called to count the cost. Why is that essential for you? So we're ambassadors for Christ. And the way we carry ourselves, the way that we communicate through our actions, especially our actions do speak louder than words. If you say to them, I'm a follower of Jesus... And you haven't counted the cost of what following Jesus means and to live that out in in a contextual, appropriate way, effectively, so that I'm not building walls up, that I don't have time for you unless it's in this half-hour slot on my Friday or my Sunday. Anyone who is not counting costs is eventually going to fall into the trap of miscommunicating who the person of Christ is Mm. as they claim Mm. to follow Christ Mm. and the cultures that you're working in, they, they see through different lenses. They time means something different than our time and generosity means something different than our generosity. So we need to count the cost is what does it mean to love them? Well, Mm. so for you, would you say that the cost now that you've dove in has been worth it? Is it worth paying the cost in your Absolutely. life? Absolutely. Yeah. 100% worth it. We paid for a, a cheap apartment and a nice coastal beach area would drive short distance into this community that we're in. But we were too far. We we're far enough away for culturally for them not to leave their two, three mile radius. Hmm. So it was kind of on our terms. Like, well, when we want to see you guys, we'll come like once or twice a month, but they'd never come our way. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we had a comfortable, we had a cool spot, but the Lord was calling us deeper. And so not that I can say this is some major sacrifice moving 30 minutes down the street, but shifting that paradigm, taking that step of faith and and being willing to count those costs um, and integrating our family to be on mission has been probably one has been the best thing for our family. Nice. And so family's a big step here because kind of the cost now, now we mentioned that with you guys, with Jonathan and Adrian, when you were looking at going to Africa, by the time it was actually getting around, suddenly there's kids involved and counting that cost is different. Ryan, you've got kids as well. I've got kids. When we moved to Mississippi, I was bringing my kids out there and I was pulling them from their friends and making major changes in their life. So let's talk about the family aspect and counting the cost in that. And uh, Jonathan and Adrian, your, your kids have been part of your mission all along, of course. And uh, so introduce us to your kids and, and also in terms of, of what it cost you, um, I, want, I, want to, I want you to introduce, introduce us to your kids, all four of your kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we left and we had two, uh, two sons, uh, Josiah and Christopher. Christopher had just started walking when we went out on the field, uh, which was great. He was he was walking enough that he carried his own uh, roll-on suitcase uh, through the airport, which was a huge help. That's awesome. Hey, Christopher, um, that sounds familiar. Is he named after I somebody? wonder who he was named after. Okay, hmm. so so this was hard for me. You guys leaving was also hard for me. I know I'd already gone to Mississippi, but going all the way out to Africa was like, 
the kids are just getting to the place where they're going to get to know their Uncle Chris. They're, and yeah. Chris, so. Chris missed out on, yes, knowing his Uncle Chris for a little bit. but yeah. um, And then um, shortly after we got there, um, we had number three. And so Benjamin was actually born in Kenya. He's got a really cool birth certificate that says wow. that he was born, you know, overseas. It's It's nice. a pretty cool one. Um, and so, yeah, that was our family for a while. Um, and then, um, yeah, in 2014, we met Silas Jabali, um, at, at an orphanage there in, in Kenya and he became part of our family. We, we adopted him and, and brought him in, um, to, to our family. So now that wasn't had, an instant process. You didn't just show up at an orphanage and, and take him home. Well, I think we'll take that one right there. No, um, <laughs> we'd already been planning on it. Uh, we'd been planning on adopting for quite some time. We didn't know if it was going to be in Kenya or in the in the states, um, but we were prepared to to adopt when we went to the orphanage and and, and saw Silas. Yeah, nice. And All I right, think, introduce me to Silas. So, oh, Silas, yeah, he. Oh gosh, how do you describe Silas? He, he. So he spoke two languages. He's At quite. Three. Yeah, at three, he was quite brilliant and just very, like, intuitive. He would just, like, look at you, and he would just know, like, hey, can I help you with something? Um, just a sweet boy. He was the little yeah. spokesperson for everybody at the <laughs> orphanage. When, like, all of the other aunties, they called them aunties when they're taking care of um, the little kids. Aunties. Yeah, he would be the one to be like, oh, auntie, he he wants this over here. He he needs this it's over three. here. He'd be, mm -hmm. Yeah, he was just this brilliant little kid. And and our neighbors would often tell us that even when he was a little older, he's like four, uh, four years old, and she, she'd be walking by, and he would stop her and ask her how her day was and how she was doing. This was a four-year-old asking <laughs> the adults, how are you today? You look very beautiful today. And this is as a four-year-old. How old were your other boys at this point? Ben, okay, so uh, Benjamin was Benjamin was a year older than, than Silas. Okay. Um, and we adopted Silas, I think, when... Right, he, when he was three. We, yeah, he was placed with us at three, so Benny would have been four... And, and Chris would have been six. Josiah would okay. have been seven. Yeah. And Silas had medical issues from from the beginning. Yeah. So he had a condition called hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, mm -hmm. that he contracted just after uh, birth. So he um, got meningitis and then um, got hydrocephalus. So basically, what it looks like is if you're not treated right away for hydrocephalus, your head just kind of blows up. Mm -hmm. It just kind of um, increases in size because. The water yeah. has nowhere else to go. Right, all the all the plates in the skull, it's it's soft. It's not really solid and formed when you're born. And so, when your brain is producing this excess fluid and it doesn't drain properly, it just causes your 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 whole head to to expand as it's pushing on the different plates in the skull. And so, then they harden in that larger shape. Yeah. So all of us who are praying for you, let's see this adorable African kid, Silas. And if, so the first picture I'm looking at. Is it skewed a little bit? <laughs> his head was a little taller. Really that tall. His head was, his head was tall. Stinking adorable kid. He was adorable. He was adorable. Yeah. So I, I would say, kind of going back to in terms of the counting the cost part. You know, when Jonathan and I were thinking about, well, gosh, now we have, you know, before we moved out, we had two kids at that point, and gosh, what are we going to do? So when we kind of envisioned this, the Lord was asking of us, hey, do you trust me with your kids? And we really had to evaluate that because it's one thing to say, yes, Lord, you know, if it costs me my life, I'll, I'll go and, you know, you can do what you will. But when you have your own kids, now you're evaluating 
their lives as well. And um, so for us, we we took that. But I think in our minds, Jonathan and I had kind of talked about this, that we had always envisioned that as being coming into a dangerous situation in Nairobi, like a carjacking or a robbery in our house. Mm. And we'd have these discussions. So what would we do if we were carjacked? Because it happens frequently there. What would we do during a robbery? Where would we take the kids? Would we, you know, just different things that you talk about within the comfort of your home. But what we had never really talked about is the cost of inviting a new child into your home and the Lord taking them. So Silas passed away in 2016 unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Um, How long was he with your family? Just under two years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did he genuinely become family for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, Benjamin and him were, were so close that even though Silas was Kenyan and Benjamin's American, when they were in the other room, you couldn't distinguish between the two of them when they were talking to each other. You could not tell who was talking. Their laugh was the same. They talked the same. Everything about it. That was our son. We were mom and dad. So, yeah, without a doubt, it was fully integrated as family. Yeah. And so, yeah, going back to that counting the cost part, I think just evaluating that part like, wow, we didn't really see that coming. Yes, Lord, we gave you our children, but we didn't realize it was going to come with an adoption. And then, you know, just around the corner, there was, okay, Lord, you're going to you're gonna take him home in a time that wasn't expected. And I think because we had had a lot of those discussions before and we had said, yes, Lord, you can, you know, you can take our children. Um, we trust you with that. I think it made it a little bit... It's not ever easy. No. But I think because our posture had always been towards, you know, wanting to honor the Lord in that way and trusting him with everything that we had, um, that kind of paved the path for us to to move forward. Yeah, we were definitely blindsided by it. It definitely caught us off guard because of how quickly everything progressed from uh, him getting sick again to to the surgery and everything that happened. But God gave us the grace to get through it. Um, and I think that first of all, it was, we had already taken the time to consider this and count the cost that this was always a possibility that, that, that somebody, we, one of us could, could lose our life. It went faster than we expected and it was in a very unexpected way, but God gave us the grace to get through that. We had amazing, uh, friends and family and a church there in Kenya that, that came alongside us and, and, and helped us. And, and lifted us up while we were down. And so, I mean, God's grace was was, was so evident through the whole thing that, um, yeah, without without it, we would still be a mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, re- I remember the morning. I remember the morning and reading the news. And uh, and it was, and Silas had been in and out of the hospital and uh, and we'd been been praying. And, uh, but it was, it came from my wife. I remember where I was sitting in the kitchen. I remember where she walked in and I remember, um, just instant heartbreak hearing. And, uh, and for me it was, I never got to meet him. I never got to meet Silas. We mm. I hadn't made it out, but, uh, but I headed out, um, just a couple weeks later to, to be with you guys after that. And how, how did God bring you through as, as a family? Now, now you, you go out as a family with, with two kids as you head out there, you form family in, in Africa, your, your church family, your, your extended family, God adds to, to your personal family. You get a newborn and another comes along and, and these two guys are, are running around um, like, like, like the twins. They don't look a lot like twins, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> and you, 
family, but but your your family as, as a whole did did uh, losing a kid is one of the the most common times for divorce for for couples. You guys for all the trauma of being on the other side of the world and and everything you're doing uh, to me stuff like trauma like that will either drive you closer or drive you farther away. How are you? But the the five of you. You uh, and, uh, and and Josiah and Christopher and Benjamin, how are your family on the other side of this? It's it's not it's still not easy. Um, you still deal with days that are difficult, and um, I think that um, it might be easier for us uh, as as the adults who had already considered and thought and walked through counting the cost. Um, it's a hard thing to talk to your seven-year-old about counting the cost of missions and what it might entail. or, And so I think it's harder on, on, on the kids than than it was for us. That doesn't mean that it was, was all right, yeah. we're okay and it's we're all great now. Um, because, again, you still have moments of, of uh, uh, that are that are difficult. Uh, you still wake up and sometimes or just get that feeling like – I mean, just recently I had a day where I just felt like all of a sudden, boom, I felt like I got punched in the stomach, like all of the grief washed over me all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's looking back and, you know, we've had that discussion of looking back, knowing everything that we went through and the pain and everything that was associated with it, we would do it again in a heartbeat. We would do it all again. We would adopt him even knowing what was happening because... Um, of just the joy that that he brought, and we knew that it was what God wanted for us. And for two and, years of his life, he had a family. Yeah, a he, real absolute. This was his family. He he his his mom and dad walked away from him at the hospital, and at the end, his mom and dad were there with him. Mm-hmm. Us were there with him at the hospital as he went to be with his eternal Father in heaven. So. It was it was an amazing time. It really was. Oh. Yeah. All right. Counting the cost. I, I uh, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna awkwardly change directions before. Uh, before thank I you guys apart. for sharing that with yeah. us. Yeah. Because that's. Um, yeah. I mean. I, I, yes. I don't know what else to say. Just thank you. We know that there's more people than us that are experiencing this kind of loss, and I feel like um, if we band together with each other and we walk through these dark seasons together, we know that there's other people that are in it with us, then, mm-hmm. you know, you don't walk alone. Amen. Yeah. 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 And I'll say, this is this is your family story. I, I don't want to say, hey, everybody out there, considering missions count the cost, and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. That, that's not the way it goes. This was this was your family story, and, uh, and the cost for, for everyone, but... I think counting the cost, when Jesus talks about counting the cost, he's not just talking about mission work. He's talking about following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that's, this isn't just, oh, are you going to be a missionary? Following Jesus. Every, he tell, calls everyone, count the cost. Mm-hmm. There, there is a sacrifice. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow, follow Jesus for, for this to work. But I am going to move us forward, or we're going to run out of time. But, uh, but I want to ask this. Um, Ryan, in terms of counting the cost for for you and your family, you've got uh, you've got a couple of little kids, and you've moved your family into a, a neighborhood that's uh, where where things are, are different. How do you think about this for for your kids and projecting their lives moving forward? What elements when, when you're thinking, okay, what is the cost? Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking dollars. What is the cost for your family, and how do how do you weigh that out and say yes, this we're going to do this together? And how do you express that you're, when your kids are so little they can't understand it? 
then uh, how do you, as the leader of the family, say we're, we're, we're willing to pay this cost moving forward? Yeah, I think in a more local setting for us where we have uh, some family in the area, not in the immediate area, but driving distance to an extent. So I think I can imagine as our kids get older, like mom and dad, why don't we spend more time with our cousins? You know, like our kids are pretty young, but I, I just, we really do want our kids to be raised in a way that they get the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. And, and if that means that instead of hanging out with all of their cousins or a lot of Christians in our week to week, we know as a frontline position that we take for the kingdom that we're going to be explaining to our kids as they mature, the Lord has called us into this spot. And this is, uh, this is part of life. This is the bigger picture that, that the Lord has called us to a harvest here. And our relationships reflect that. Who we spend our majority of our time with reflects that, that we, we have uh, this calling. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'll speak as one with my kids a little ways down the road. I counted the cost when my kids were little. When, when I started ministry, my, uh, my daughter was two, just one kid. Now she's 21, getting married. And, uh, <clears throat> and for me, counting the cost, I want to differentiate to clarify, counting the cost should not be, as a leader of the family, as a parent, should not be, I'm going to sacrifice time that I could spend with my kids so I can spend more time in ministry because that can get that that divide will grow bigger and bigger. You should not sacrifice your investment in your own children. You count the cost together as a family because the call to ministry is together as a family. And I can say my kids now are actually grown up. Brad, you've got a grown up kid now too. Just sent her off to college, didn't you? Thanks for pointing that out. I was already teary-eyed a minute <laughs> I just ago, said and now you're bringing back some more to, tears. To college. <laughs> but, but I'll say this. But my kids who've gone off to college, ministry is their life. When my daughter got to college, she, she said, I couldn't just go to church and sit. Like, she immediately got involved with the youth group. And then she committed to be involved with, uh, with a whole other church that was a church plan. Like, she couldn't just not because ministry was always as a whole family. Yeah. And for me, what that meant was I never wanted ministry to be the thing that took daddy away. It was always the thing that made us all busy together. And yeah, there was a cost, but the cost was paid by all of us together. We were all invested in it. Ministry was always together. You know, Chris, and we haven't talked much about this, this a whole other episode, but the mission field I was called to at a point was into the military as a chaplain. And when that started to go down, we actually sat down as an entire family, which my kids were older, but not like that much older. My youngest was pretty young, but we had the discussion of what that looked like for the family. And what the cost was, but we encompassed the entire family talking about it. Kids asking questions, like what, literally asking me questions and what it might look like. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's huge in in our ministry. And and, yeah. All right. Okay. We're going to run out of time here, but we've got to have, we got to do, we're almost out of time already. I know. We got to go fast. We have, okay. Brad, bring us into it. You got to run through the rules. We're doing theology throwdown because we have to. It's, It's part of this whole podcast. All right, I think when Jonathan stretches out for theology. So, guys, too. listen, this is legit rules this time. Read the verse. Okay. I won't even say keep it brief. Read the verse. We got to stick to it. <laughs> uh, penalty cards will be given, guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed. Uh, I think you get tackled at this Hold on, I got a red card last time. Am I, like, excluded from no, this you're game? No, you're in. Oh, this okay. is a new game. Okay. okay. So, okay. today's question? throwdown question on God's mission, which is the more essential calling and which is more effective 
reaching the lost or equipping the saints? I'm going you first on this Go one. First. I'm going yeah. first. Okay. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God has mm. given Bible teachers, God has given evangelists to equip. It's not our job as the ministry leaders to do all the work. We're called to equip others. So if we equip the saints, they will reach the world and they will reach the lost if we spend the time equipping them. And I love that verse. And I want to add to that, that you'll see at the end of that verse that the whole body is built up rather than just the leader being built up and the, and the loss that they're reaching, the whole body is built up and it says they reach unity. There's unity that happens when the whole body is working and maturity. And I'll just leave it at that. Ryan, give us one. So I'm looking here at, um, sorry guys. So did you lose your verse? I lost I'm it. I'm for this. Oh man. You know, <laughs> right, we're going to come back to you. We're going to come back to you, Ryan. <laughs> You oh, called out wait, your verse before. Assistance. We've got an assistance. We, we have assistance. A, a... We have assistance on the field. Go okay. for it, Ryan. What do you got? So the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So the concept of, of committing what God has given us to others and multiplying and, and having reproducible uh, leaders so that others can carry it forward. So we're doing both. You're doing both. Doing both. I love it. Adrian, Nicely give done. us one. All right. Exodus 18, 17, where Moses' father-in-law says, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Mm. And you avoid those Jonathan Show situations. <laughs> the if Jonathan you guys... Show is canceled. <laughs> Listen to episode one if you're not familiar with the Jonathan Show. It's but not yes. syndication. Chris, you can't you, do it yeah, alone. You, you, you get past it by by training up people and getting other people involved in the work. Nice. Yeah. All right. I like the balance that comes in 2 Timothy 4 as Paul gives Timothy, who is leading a church. He's the leader in the church in Ephesus. He gives his grand charge, preach the word. Why is he preaching the word? Because it's his primary tool for training. So he's called to train. And he's going to be teaching the word. He's going to be correcting, rebuking. But he is investing and equipping the believers. And there is also a balance with that. The very next verse in, in 4, 5 of 2 Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. There's the picture there. He's called to equip, but right after that, he's also called to do the work of an evangelist. You can't equip others while you're not doing. Mm -hmm. in, that, in other words, you have to work and also bring others alongside. And that's actually the, the picture that you see Jesus modeling for us. Jesus went out doing the work of reaching the lost, but then he brings along the disciples and they're doing the work and he involves them. And when the disciples try to get rid of the people, he says, you give them something to eat. And he also sends them out to, be, to, to copy what they've modeled. And when he sends them out, he basically says, do exactly what you saw me doing. And that's the way it works. All right. Is that, are we out of time? We are out of time. I think we're out of time. We had a lot more to talk about, but we're going to invite you guys back. We got one more episode in this series. We're going to talk specifically about the issues that come up with refugees and immigrants. I know that's a big part of uh, Ryan's ministry, but Jonathan Adrian, also, you guys worked with that, as you saw in Kenya, as you had 
a lot of refugees coming into Kenya was a big part of your work. So we're going to bring that up in episode four in the fourth part of this series, but I've got to close it out for us. This is Chris Langham on behalf of the whole team at the Soul Podcast. It's a muddy world. So walk by faith and walk in grace. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us. That's all for the Soul Podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the story. Join us next time as the conversation continues. You can subscribe wherever great podcasts are found. And you can find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire